Welcome back, podcast listeners, to Not To Be Technical. It's your boy, Two Beer Knopf. We got Charlie Scholes and Gary Mann in the mix. Back for episode number eight. Yeah, Not yeah, to be yeah. Used with episode 10, maybe an integer 7.75. You already know what it is. Yeah, it's really not too confusing at all. So uh, all of the longtime uh, podcast listeners will know we kind of silently released a half episode last week uh, that recounts our trip to Costa Rica. Uh, Novice and I went there. Gary also went to Charleston, which was also recounted very quickly as well there. Uh, but yeah, this is now our 10th recorded episode, as Novice said, because uh, we did start episode zero. Uh, on this episode, of course, we're going to be going over trending tech. Uh, we're also going to have our main topic, which is going to be first attempt here at a cryptocurrency episode Getting wet. from our main cryptocurrency expert, the one and only Gary, man. Yes, I get to be the tech person today and you guys get to be the lay people. So we're flipping let's, the script. Let's go, Gary. I'm excited. Uh, but I guess to start off the episode, um, real quick, I, I think it's good to to kind of recap and always ask this. But, but Office, how the hell are you? Oh, hell yeah. I'm doing great. Starting off the week yeah. strong, energy's on fire. Whoa. And, you know, I think all of this energy is coming from last Friday where we celebrated Charlie's 30th birthday um, at karaoke. Um, oh, yeah. I want to start off and say, uh, you know, Charlie, I, I don't know if I mentioned this to you, but, you know, uh, you know I, I coordinated, you know, the invites, went through the motions. Uh, but I won't lie, in, in the back of my head, I was like a little nervous about karaoke. Like I've never done it before and I don't know why, I just kind of felt there was just some something that was like unnerving. And then when we did it, it was a complete blast. Like everyone should do karaoke, so much fun. I, I will say my expectation going in was kind of like, and I don't know why I thought this, but I was thinking that we would like take turns getting up on some stage and like performing for everyone. <laughs> and it was absolutely not like that. Like everybody's- Wait, did we not do that? Every, I mean- to an no. extent, yeah, later on in the night. But like, you're looking at the screen, you're, you know, there's multiple mics, you're singing along together. So it's not as like, embarrassing with the spotlight all on one person. So from that perspective, I thought it was better than I expected and less embarrassing than I expected it to be. I mean, honestly, Gary, you you should have you should have been on stage, especially when you were singing that Spanish song. I think we all stopped oh, for a man. moment and were really surprised at yeah, how cool. beautiful. Not only were you pronouncing yeah, everything, but how it I, sounded. Well, I'm not fluent in Spanish, believe it or not, but that song I can sing very fluently. There's there's oh, man. a few things, a few phrases, a few songs that I can speak fluently. But when it comes to having a conversation, if you drop me in another country, I'll be able to like ask where the bus stop is, but like. Not much else, you know? <laughs> the bus Same. stop. Same. Well, where the hospital is, how to get food, where the bathroom is, that's an important one. How about the biblioteca? The biblioteca, yeah, the library. Very oh, good. Yeah, that, that's oh, very Somebody important. remembers Spanish one. <laughs> Duolingo coming in strong. Oh, nice. <laughs> no, but uh, the office, uh, well, to, to, to go back where you just said there, first off, thank you for organizing it uh, and getting everyone uh, together. To it, it was awesome. I will say the first, this is only the second time I've done karaoke. Both times I've been at this place, uh, which in South Florida, it's called Plug-In Karaoke. And it's really just one of those private karaoke rooms. So you can rent out a room appropriate for the size of your party. Uh, and it's private. So you, there's like couches in there, tables. Uh, it, it's almost like kind of what I would imagine like a VIP room would be like in like some type of club or bar or something of that nature. A waiter comes in. 
Uh, they, you get drink orders, you get food orders. The food was actually really surprisingly good there too, which I don't yeah. think anyone expected. We thought it'd be kind of subpar. I've never gone on stage and done karaoke, like in the traditional sense that you see like on TV or like whatever, like you at a bar. But I also, the first time I went, although it was with a smaller group, we had a blast the first time we went there. And I was also like, I don't know how this is going to work. Like, yeah, I've never done that. Same type of nerves. Uh, but it went well. So I knew that this would be great for having another, like a little party here, a get together. Uh, and that like, once everyone got comfortable, I, I knew everyone would have a blast. I was really excited about that. And that's what ended up happening. Uh, but I will say the first time I went to this place, I was with a few friends, you know, we drank a little bit and the way it works mm-hmm. is, so you have a, so there's a, a big TV there that kind of shows the words and everything. There's microphones. Uh, it's a pretty comfortable space. But you have this tablet, and the tablet will allow you to pick what song plays, right? This this really shitty like Google Android tablet, like the cheapest oh, tablet so that's terrible. like ever been invented, like not responsive. Uh, the screen is just like everything's kind of blurry. Like it looks like it's like you're looking through some fog glass or something. And we broke the tablet the first time I went there, like years ago, right? And we thought we were slick. Like we hit it like under a pillow and we left and paid, which like just wasn't even going to work at all. And we got away with it. Like we paid our bill and everything. But like we <laughs> we lingered outside just like for no good reason. Like we were just like hanging out outside of the place. And then the guy, of course, comes running out to stop us. We had Smooth. already done research too. We, There's nothing even there to linger around. Like, no, there like, wasn't. Like the chairs at the venue. Yeah, it was like late at night too. Like there was nothing to do. Like why did we not just leave? But the guy comes running out. It we also we really pre-planned this. Like my friend's like, okay, like we're gonna cancel our credit card in case they try to charge us an insane amount because this tablet we looked it up was only worth like sixty dollars. We really we thought we were so clever. What ended up happening is my friend, uh, my friend Richard slipped the guy a hundred bucks, and then we had to leave, and that was it. Oh man, yeah, money so, bags rich over there. Yeah, money bags rich hooking me up. Thank you, Rich. By the way, I appreciate that, brother. But uh, I would Thank say anonymous fam. listener number three. Well, he, he, let, let's not call out names here. We don't know if he'll ever be an anonymous listener. <laughs> he could be one or two. We've never. Maybe he's anonymous listener That's number true. two. We don't That's know. True. We don't know. There's a lot of speculation. We do have friends there that really like, is some say, speculation. Yeah, they I got a screenshot uh, yeah. from one of our friends, and they asked if this was one of the anonymous listeners, which was like two recommendations from Instagram. I'm not going to say if they were. They might have been. been. They weren't. But they they might have been. You never know. The other thing that disappointed me on this tablet is so there was a good music selection. It was kind of fun, like you going through there, like you make a cue. Although it was like a little annoying to make the cue of the songs coming up. There were a few songs that were missing. Like, did you guys have any songs that like you were really disappointed weren't there in the karaoke, like a repertoire, the whatever it would be, the the selection? Yeah, when I went through and looked, one that stuck out to me was Hotel California. I'm always like looking for that one on karaoke. I feel like that's a banger that everyone can sing along to. So that was a disappointment for me that that wasn't on there. Obviously, do you have anything? Um, I would say... uh marathons by uh, optic nerve uh definitely one <laughs> i don't of, know what uh, that is that's one of mine and charlie's go-to uh car jams um oh man check yeah, that mar- out yeah so the song's called marathon by optic nerd it's a very i wouldn't call it an obscure song but it's just not a popular song like i i found it one day randomly i think spotify recommended it to me on like the discovery playlist like years ago and it just, i just have like i've had a 
I wouldn't call it a love-hate relationship with this song, but it's one of those songs I'll listen to aggressively for like a solid five months. Then I won't listen to it for like a year. Then it, it comes back again. And so I shared it with the office and I think he also has uh, developed the same relationship. I followed the same yeah. pattern of aggressive listening until I had yeah. to uh, you know, put a pause and then, you know, restarted the aggressive. Yeah. So for me, um, I am a fan of Dua Lipa. Uh, particularly the song Levitating, the original one. I do know as well, I, I'm not sure if you guys are aware of this, you know the remix with Baby. You know that? Yeah, yeah. I'm aware one? of that. You don't like that one, right? I thought that was the only one. I didn't even know there was a ri- an oh, original one. Oh, no, Gary, there was an original one and it's better. No, I know that now you. from talking yeah. to you, but I didn't know that at yeah. first. Yeah, so I don't know if you guys are aware that he was uh, recently canceled at Lollapalooza uh, because he said some very homophobic and just – Terrible things uh, on stage, just things that are just not PC. And so they oh removed God, it from yeah. there. So I, I always knew. I always knew the original song was better there. So Yeah, but you're right. You know what? He, he, plugging karaoke didn't know this. They don't have the original Dua Lipa uh, levitating, which I was devastated. That, that was I was really <laughs> looking forward to that one. Um, you know, but, you know, here we are. We're OK. We made so it through. Want, There's a lot of good songs. I want to give some backstory on this Dua Lipa stuff. So... I think all of this started um, <laughs> as, more as a joke because my mom True. got really into Dua Lipa and particularly the song uh, One Kiss, uh, which was on the iPad. And we did play that song. We um, did. So uh, and what I would end up doing is once I knew that was like her song, I would just walk into her room and just like scream at it like Alexa and be like, Alexa, play One Kiss on, you know, and then immediately she'd start playing it. So I think I started doing that at Charlie's house too, but I forgot the name of the song. So I would just say, play Dua Lipa. And then it would start playing Levitating, which then became our jam. Yeah. Uh, and then unfortunately, they just didn't have it on the repertoire. Yeah, I could have so- sworn there was like a commercial that where somebody said, Alexa, played Dua Lipa. Or is that just like the Mandela effect on me? Like I'm making that up in my mind. Definitely on some simulations. Oh, show okay. There, Gary. The office was talking about the Mandela effect just hours ago without Gary too. What we're so insane. The main here. example of it is the Sinbad movie, right? Is, are you always say the Bernstein Bears. Not the sure. Bernstein Bears. Yeah. What are the Bernstein Bears? Or the fact that everyone thought Mandela died. All right, well, how about this? What What is the Mandela effect for anyone that doesn't <laughs> it's, know? It's where everybody, like, I mean, my understanding of it is it's where a lot of people collectively like remember some, or fabricate a memory that didn't really happen in their mind. Is that right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's almost like society as a whole remembers something that's not factual, right? And it's just it's this weird thing. Like maybe everyone perceives it the same way. It's right. And, and then people tie that into us being in a simulation, and the code was rewritten. And for whatever reason, we've got some remembrance. Of I mean, you. Ha- I guess technically, you have no way not to be technical, but you have no way of a hundred percent knowing whether that's true or not, whether we're in a simulation or not, right? That's correct, Gary. I mean, I'm pretty sure it's not, but I'm pretty damn sure that Sinbad was in a genie movie, man. I could swear it. <laughs> I know but that is one of the I, examples. But what's the Bernstein like Bear one again? That's like the only one that I've heard. It's Along like with Bernstein versus Berenstein or Berenstein. Oh, it's like how everyone says it wrong, right? Yeah. yeah. That's like some cartoon or like some, was it a book or what? what is the Bernstein Bear? I forget. I, I, I know what they look like. Familiar. Yeah, whatever. Who cares? The Bernstein Bears. They can, no one cares about them anyway. The kids don't even read that anywhere. <laughs> the Bernstein, the Bernstein okay, sorry, Bears are fine. There's no, they did nothing wrong. Yeah, the baby did something. The baby did something wrong. Bernstein Bears, they're yes. fine. I, I yes. should not be going after them. 
But yeah, so the other thing that goes with uh, Dua Lipa in the in office's uh, favorite thing to do when he walks in somewhere. So you didn't tell me at first where it came from, uh, being your mother liking it, and then like oh, you know yeah. you would just do that all the time. What you told me is you have something on your bucket list, and this is the only thing I know that's on your bucket list. So your bucket list to me is just this one item, as far as I know. Which is this is one of the top tier items. Yeah, you want to walk into a like like a house party. It has to be a house party because there needs to be, be like an Amazon. Getty, like, it can't be too big. Oh yeah, a Getty. Okay, so walk into a little Getty, little house party. You know, you walk in. You, I guess the door must be open. Maybe someone lets you in. You walk in confidently. <sighs> you're going past. Yeah, you're you're walking into like the main area. Everyone's gathered at this Getty. I'm not and, even invited. Maybe not invited. Yeah, we didn't get into these details, but I, I like this this for you. I like this for you. So you walk in uninvited, very confident. You see the Alexa in the corner and you go, Alexa, play Dua Lipa. And you do that. And then you say nothing else. From Spotify. Oh, nice, dude. Nice. I, I was really trying to avoid that. Alexa, stop. <laughs> <laughs> so... So you walk, so you walk in and do that. You say nothing, and then you just like sit down, or like you walk out into another room. Did, did I summarize your bucket list item that, correctly? That, that was pretty well done. Yes. Okay, well, and, and I want to make that happen for you too. Like, however, I can help foster it. I would love to do that. It, it can't just be like it needs to be real, though, right? Like, you I can't like just, a good. This is a very attainable bucket list goal, so I like. Yeah, that. It's, it's realistic. Like, you feel good about like okay, I can I can actually check this one off. Like, I don't have to climb mount everest or something like this is very doable i might just need to start going to like house parties or gettys and just bring my own alexa with me and just like plug it in and ask for their wi-fi info and just you know do it on my own did they not have one at the party in costa rica um we didn't check did we i did not check i was not thorough enough yeah (laughs) well that was a missed opportunity but yeah, that missed opportunity also for plugging karaoke. But I do recommend it, private karaoke rooms, especially if you've never done it before. It, it's a good way to just have a group of friends together. You don't feel like you're putting yourself out there too much. You know, I, I don't have a great singing voice. Uh, so it was it was easy to get more comfortable and have fun there. So thanks again for coming, guys. I had a great night there. I'm glad you enjoyed it as well. But highly recommend private karaoke rooms to anyone out there that wants to have like a little get together or something it's a hell of a time heck yeah well let's just take it right on into trending tech topics let's so in episode number six uh charlie and gary gave me a lot of shit about bringing up this patent that paypal had about uh, ar goggles or glasses and really just me uh thinking up and imagining uh the potential uses um imagining you know, I, I i knew gary was gonna call out imagining <laughs> there gary loves calling out really like, that's what, i'm sorry i ahead. know gary and i like made eye contact like imagining <laughs> like who's gonna tell you know just thinking about you know maybe buying this bicycle off the street um now i'm sorry i'm sorry novice real quickly i just want yeah. you to know that uh that scenario that you played out in episode six uh when we were we were walking around in Costa Rica, and there were certainly bikes on the streets in in the cities that we were in. Nafis did turn to me and say, "I really wish I had my AR glasses that could then tell me if this bike is for sale in the middle of Costa Rica." Perfect uh, time then, to rent. Yep. Sorry, so, I, I caught you out there. Go ahead. So back to the news at hand in <laughs> Facebook's latest earning call uh, this last week. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg unveiled that you know their next hardware device is going to be a set of AR glasses. 
Um, now, they didn't necessarily give out like a potential launch date. It's expected maybe 2021, uh, but I have a good feeling it's probably going to be somewhere in 2022. Uh, and they didn't really divulge too many of the details, a uh, part of you know what is actually going to be featured um, with these goggles. Um, now, I do know that there's no like sort of integrated screen with it, uh, but it's sort of following the same line of Snap Spectacles along with, um, I think it's like the Echo Frames. Uh, Charlie, I remember you signed up on a list for that. Did you ever get a response? Yeah, so the Echo Frames are an Amazon device that has the integration built in for the smart speakers and everything like that. Alexa. And, uh, and then try not to activate her again. She's right near me. And, uh, it, and so they had this sign-up list where if you have prescription glasses, you can sign up to be eligible to buy a frame that has that technology built in. I was selected. Or I don't know if it was like even that like a, like exclusive to get. So I don't know why I said selected. But I, I, the wait list worked. I was eligible to buy the glasses. Uh, and I did not buy them because these glasses looked just hideous. They were just thick. You know, there yeah. were, were some thick boy frames, you know, they like they had to fit all that stuff in there for the smart speakers. So it also too like thinking about it, like you're like, hey, like what's the weather today? And then like the speaker plays it out to you that like at, at this, you know, I guess the sound it only you can hear potentially. But it just seems ridiculous that like, you're just walking around doing that, like asking random questions. Like it just seems so unnecessary, especially yeah. with Siri on your phone and things. And all like the that. other devices you have, basically yeah. on hand, whether it's your Apple Watch, yeah. you know, phone, or whatever it is that you have. But that's um, Echo Frames, yeah. Yeah. Um, in, in addition to this reveal, um, there's a partnership, and it's with uh, Ray-Bans. So at least they're going with a good glasses manufacturer. But I think Stylish. it's going to be very. Yeah, I think it's going to be like a similar design, though, that you mentioned where uh, where your ears are and like where the actual like um, frames kind of like rest on your face. I think it's going to be extra thick with all the technology in it. Uh, I wonder how they're going to even move past it. Maybe they're going to be like, you know, very thick framed glasses kind of bringing that look back. Who knows? Uh, but overall, um, this all kind of falls in line with this vision that Mark Zuckerberg has been pushing out, which is uniting everything in like uh, a Facebook's vision into a metaverse, um, sort of this like blend of virtual and physical spaces uh, that can be used. I, for I have no idea what you just said, by the way. You know, uh, I don't metaverse. think he knows what he's saying. I, I don't know what, what we're saying, but when you hear the word metaverse, Gary, what do you think of? Uh, I don't know, like um, something from Rick and Morty where there's like infinite that's different fun. universes or something yeah. like that. I don't know. That's, that's a good answer. That is a good answer. I was thinking like Marvel, yeah. but I think. But what, Novice, what, can you repeat what you said again, how he described the metaverse and like how Facebook would, is trying to accomplish that? I think the idea is just sort of blending both physical space and like augmented reality and virtual space together. So that way there's sort of this seamless interaction between technologies. So whether you're like shopping, doing work or, you know, socializing, I guess, as like Facebook would put it, um, it's all sort of like integrated into what is the new reality. So I think this like new reality that is the aim oh, I see. is what the metaverse is. So are we going to end up like, plugged into the matrix like neo or uh, something like when he wakes you know, up and he's like just it, like a big tower like that's he's like plugged in the back of his head i mean that's i i, I fear that this is where this would lead to like it's moving just, towards the singularity yeah nobody is new. ever going to be like unplugged from like we're all just like we just become the tech i don't know it seems insane to me a simulation 
Yeah, if you will. I will. So are these launching soon? Like do like these glasses, like do they have details about well, them? No, you were not listening to me. I was not. Uh, they don't have that many details. <laughs> they I said this at the beginning, Charlie, and I have no problem repeating it. Um I expect them to be in like 2022. Um they didn't really give a launch date. So they're they might come out end of 2021. I doubt it. I feel like this is a 2022 launch or they're going to scrap the whole thing and be like, "Wow, these glasses suck." <laughs> I I just really wanted to hear the dates again because I'm really excited for them and I wanted to make sure I heard. That correctly. is so insincere. That is so <laughs> insincere right there. No, no, I said novice great work there, and I have to say that was a good uh, a good topic you procured there. Uh, you know, it's certainly uh, I I I actually so I will say this like like giving you shit aside, I really do think smart glasses once the technology is there will be really cool. Uh, you know, when you could actually be like, you look like normal wearing them, uh, when stuff is integrated with AR technology, I mean, it, I, I can't imagine it not being cool. Just like having that little like visual thing on the side there, it, it'll be helpful. It'll be like how the Apple watch is kind of made it. So if you use like an Apple watch or a smartwatch and you get notifications on there, I feel like everyone I've talked to, it's hard to get back from that. It's like the, the ease of like not having to look at your phone. And like, imagine that if it's just like you see it visually, could be a good thing or a bad thing depending on productivity. But I, yeah, once the technology is there, this will be really cool. Like I, I, like I know we joke about it, but it's cool. The technology will finally be out there once I learn how to put contacts in. That's what's going to end up happening. I know it. <laughs> yeah, Gary, you're the only one uh, of the three of us that doesn't have any eye issues, right? You don't have glasses or contacts. Yeah, I've, thankfully, I've never needed. Oh, um, wow. yeah, yeah, glasses or contacts. Yeah, yeah, I'm a contacts you. guy. I have some contacts waiting for me at the eye doctor right now. Oh, that's right. Yeah. You, you're having a tough time putting those bad boys in your eyes, oh, yeah, right? You get a little scared so with that. Yeah. I do get scared. It takes me like half an hour. Then yeah. my eyes are bloodshot and who knows? Maybe we'll figure it out. Maybe I won't. I'll help you. You want me to pop those bad boys in there for you? I'll wash my hands up. I'll do it for you. Dude, if you honestly did that, like that would be really convenient. Um, I don't know how sanitary that is, but I would do it for you. I don't care. All right. I'm yeah, it's done. I'm sure Gary would be down for that as well. Oh, absolutely. I'm always Very I'm good. always here to help. <laughs> All right, so we'll work on that. We'll have to go to the eye doctor and get that done. But Gary, I actually saw a trending tech topic that reminded me of you in, in the way that you – so you – when you do decide to speak Spanish, it comes out perfectly. Like it sounds like you are just – you are mi hermano. You know, you are just – you are there. <laughs> Don't uh, pronounce you, age. Hermano. 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 Oh, Gary, say it again. Hermano. Well, you know what you could say again? How would you order one cerveza uh, or Corona or whatever? How would you do that? Señor, ¿me puedes dar una cerveza, por favor? What if it was a young lady that would be, uh, you know, serving this? Señorita, (laughs) ¿me puedes dar una cerveza, por favor? Thank you. I just wanted to be inclusive. Um, I think that's right. Like, can you give me a can you give me a beer, please? Well done. And you would you would do well with what Corona has done. They've partnered with Duolingo, who have have taught me many words so far, such as manzanas and biblioteca. Nice. Uh, Duolingo has a vending machine now. They'll only get you the drink that you have ordered, uh, which is with Corona because they partnered with them. If you order it correctly in Spanish, you pronounce it right or anything. So Gary, Wait. you would kill it here. You said a vending machine? They, a they vending have machine. 
Um, yeah, apparently they have these. I don't know how that would what? work. Did they, like, would... check your ID or something? What the That's hell? What they say. I, I mean... Where is this at? I, I'm looking at it right now. It's gonna be in, oh, it's gonna be in Las Vegas. Uh, you know they're gonna have uh, the hard seltzer limonadas. Makes more sense. Uh, limonadas. Limonadas. Uh, it'll be maybe it'll be in an area that's 21 plus only. Uh, you know, not sure there, but yeah, I, I'm sure everyone that's going to Las Vegas is gonna be lining up to to say this correctly in order to get their vending machine. <laughs> Definitely. But, yeah, Gary included. He'll be over there. But you would get it quickly. But I, I think that's a cool way. So well, like while it doesn't seem but so you still have to pay for the drink though, right? Oh, like, of course. Yeah. You don't get it for free if you just speak Spanish, right? Well, maybe they'll give it to you for like free a discount. Maybe if it's like a, a promo, right? Like because the, the whole thing is like when brands like cross promote like this Corona and Duolingo in this case, it is good marketing. Right, that it, makes it sense. is right. Like we're talking about it now. Like how do we find out about this? It's been reported in the news. So like, all right, like it's it's good marketing. Maybe they're just seen as like a sunk cost for like each Corona that's ordered correctly. But I imagine you have to pay for it. That's too bad. Yeah, yeah. I guess I'll just I guess I'll just have to like get vaccinated and get the Bud Light instead for free. That's right. Well, you are vaccinated. Oh, oh, that's a, so we talked about it earlier. Well, if I'm already vaccinated, I can exactly. just like kind of say that I like you don't need to get newly vaccinated to get the the beer, right? I can just that's be correct. Like, hey, I mean, unless you want to yeah. be like extra vaccinated, just like I have no idea. But well, there um, is going to be a booster needed at some point, right? That, that, I I've read about that. that. I, yeah. I haven't heard anything else about that, but yeah, Pfizer has I, I think said that they like they were filing to get approval for a booster. And I think we're all Pfizer game here. We're Pfizer game boys, Correct. All right? We're PBs. Yeah. So we may need to be looking into that. But uh, I would also say on that note, uh, we talked about in a previous episode where there was like a Bud Light's one of promotion they had. I think Krispy Kreme also did this too with donuts and it worked in, I forgot what the state that, that this worked in. Do you guys remember? It was Missouri know, or something like that? I think it's yeah, Montana. Yeah, Oklahoma. I think you're right. Um. Yeah, in Oklahoma, there was like a tangible increase in vaccination rates. That's right. Krispy Kreme announced that they would give you a free donut if you show your vaccination card that you got vaccinated. And then Budweiser said, we'll give everyone in America a free beer if we meet this like vaccination percentage uh, by July 4th, which was like Joe Biden's um, goal. I don't know if we reached that goal. I feel like we didn't. I think it was like 70%, which has only just been hit now. Like seventy percent of the U.S. population being vaccinated, I think we literally is it even that high? Really, it that is like pretty high, honestly. I, I'm almost positive. Like, I'm pretty sure I read this. I don't have it in front of me right now, but as of the as of early August, seventy percent of adults in the U.S. are vaccinated. Let me okay. Well, let me look this up. This is news uh, from Charlie Schultz. All I know is Florida is right now popping off as the epicenter. Oh uh, yeah, most reported cases. Yeah, I U.S. Mean, hits. Biden's seventy percent vaccine goal. Uh, and it was too late to get the one beer. day ago. It was too late. Mm. It's too late to get the beer from Budweiser. Wow. You know, Buzz, Budweiser should do a make good. You know, just give everyone a free beer anyway. The, you're right. Florida is leading the way. It's leading just, the way. Yeah, I, I see a lot popping off in Florida as usual with the new variant and everything of that nature. But you know what's interesting too? A lot of businesses are kind of reinforcing uh, some of the restrictions that have kind of been lifted. So in Florida right now. I think it's actually illegal per our governor to mandate masks anywhere. Like you could, you don't have to wear a mask inside anything, uh, even if there's a sign that says that. So I know a lot of um, companies are kind of rolling that back with the resurgence, with the variants, things of that nature. But now businesses too are kind of taking it to the next level 
And I guess they are allowed to in some cases, especially if it's a membership driven thing. So two higher end, uh, you know, fitness brands. So Equinox being like a very higher end, like gym that you can join in, in a lot of cities around the U.S., and then Soul Cycle, which is cycling or spinning, uh, and, and other you know membership based thing, they're requiring people to show proof of vaccination uh, starting in September. So not even like you have to come in and wear a mask; like you have to show that you have been vaccinated uh, in order to even go in there, uh, be a member. Uh, and so I think that's very interesting in terms of you know making that choice. But I saw Equinox said they conducted a survey. And 96% uh, of their members are already vaccinated. So that's pretty interesting also for just that target demographic. Yeah, Yeah, being a a luxury gym brand. So yeah, 96%, that's really high. I mean, it was one survey, you know, who knows if everyone took it or not. But yeah, it's interesting that some of these businesses are going to have to make decisions like that and and how that's going to work with vaccine cards and people talk about vaccine passports in the future. It seems like this is starting to come up again. So, Charlie, when you mentioned SoulCycle, I remember our early days of our friendship where you used to invite me to go to Cycle Bar. (laughs) And these days, all I can think about is like you going back to one of these establishments fully decked out in all the Peloton gear that you wear all the time. (laughs) Dozens on dozens of apparel of the coolest, fittest Lululemon Peloton gear. Yeah, so I definitely appear to be a Peloton fanboy to anyone that sees me in workout attire. And it's not wrong. I, I am a Peloton fanboy now. I bought one in November. Uh, I used to go to Cycle Bar like Novice, and I do love Cycle Bar. I love that group element in person. Uh, like there's a leaderboard up there when you're doing the spinning classes. There's, there's something to it. it. It really is cool like in person, but Peloton does a really good job as well. But the reason I have so much Peloton attire uh, it, it actually, an old coworker of mine, uh, she put me onto this in terms of this strategy. Uh, but Peloton has a really solid referral program where if you refer someone to purchase a Peloton bike or a treadmill, they will give you $100 credit to the Peloton store if they sign up and, and buy a Peloton, right? Mm. So of course the Peloton's pretty pricey. So you can't just like throw that referral link to all your friends and be like, buy a Peloton and I get you get we each get a hundred dollars towards either a purchase or to the apparel store. But if you're clever, if you're in digital marketing, even if you're not in digital marketing, this is basic shit. What you can do nice. is you can actually take that referral link and market it online in various places. So it's not hard at all to take a referral link, put it onto Reddit, put it onto Twitter, put it onto like a random Facebook group, submit it to coupon code websites like Retail Me Not, uh, maybe Honey, you know, whatever. You can you can put all of those in there and say, hey, this is a working code for this date, whatever. So I did that. I barely spent any time doing this. I've spent no more than 10 minutes uh, putting my referral code out there on those sites I said. And I kid you not, I have got in in the past like six months a thousand dollars worth of peloton attire for free oh my god that is crazy and peloton attire is they they don't like outsource like cheap stuff in terms of like quality right so like the office was saying lululemon uh a lot of times their shirts or their shorts are made from lululemon uh, material there's adidas there's nike uh they have like some shoes sometimes like a lot of water bottles accessories so yeah i have a shitload of peloton clothes and it's all just from this, just a referral link. Otherwise, I wouldn't have it. I would just be, you know, I, I don't even think I would buy anything from the Peloton store. Like, 
it, it's good clothing. Like, don't get me wrong, but you know, I'm not trying to spend like $50 on a tank top. When it comes to this, like I'm definitely leveraging it. It works with the sale items on there too. So if you do have a Peloton, I would highly recommend trying to get that referral link out there <laughs> in ways that you. And if you, you don't have a Peloton, I would highly recommend you clicking on my referral link. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll put it in the show this notes is, on the podcast. This is why so everybody that has a Peloton is an evangelist about it, isn't it? I fi- I finally That's cracked the is. code. This is what it is. Everybody's just trying to get credit for the store. Gary, I bet I, if I had to guess, I would say sixty five percent of Peloton users like don't even know about the referral program. To be honest, really. Though. I, I, mean, I think that's it's pretty culty generous. for other reasons because like, it, yeah. it is very it, it is very much a community type element there. I think when you and also when you invest quite a bit of money into something, I feel like everyone's very like you know you're validating that purchase, right? right. Like just to be fair, like that's that's what people are doing. Like I personally use it all the time. I don't regret it at all. But like you want to tell other people about it. Like hey, I invested in this for myself. So it's definitely one of those culty things. But definitely. for me, the referral thing was just a great tip I got from a. a a former coworker of mine, and I'm glad I, I started using it. I got a bunch. Clothes are great, so comfortable. They last a long time. He looks so handsome all the time when he works out. <laughs> all because of the referral link. Otherwise, I would look like shit. But no, uh, I would say the other company that used to do this that I would leverage to is Airbnb. Oh, I Airbnb that. had referral codes, and um, I would do the same thing. I would post the referral codes wherever people would get credit, and literally the. When I first learned about this Peloton like referral code hack, I started doing it with Airbnb because I remember they had the same thing. And I did it like same same day. I didn't spend much time at all. I posted on Reddit, Twitter, and like a coupon code site. I got 18 people to sign up uh, using the referral code very quickly. Uh, and I don't get any benefits until they actually book their first travel. I don't I don't think I actually got anyone to do it yet, even though like that was a while ago. I don't, I don't know why. All these people just aren't traveling, whatever. But they stopped the program literally two weeks after I found out about their referral code and the whole Peloton hack. So there's no more referral codes on Airbnb. I can't leverage this. But I was looking on Reddit because there's like a bunch of people that just do this type of stuff and, and get a lot yeah. of benefits. There is a guy on there. He showed a screenshot. He doesn't do anything crazy with his referral code. He had $10,000 of Airbnb credit just waiting. Oh, my God. Just waiting. Yeah, yeah it is. this is just like some random guy that was just like Go on to Airbnb. Isn't there yeah. like a higher-end version of it, like Airbnb Lux or something like that, where you can like is rent there? out a whole mansion or something? I feel like that's like normal Airbnb almost just – I do rem- like I remember when Airbnb first came out and it was still like kind of new and hip. Uh, one of my friends did sort of the same thing and like he definitely cashed in on like, you know, he did some interesting stuff there where like you could become a host really easily too and kind of just book from each other and then use each other's referral links and make really quick money. Uh, I think that's like pretty classic of some of these like new startups that are burning some of their cash for like user adoption. Um, Definitely, we'll keep an eye out for the next one that comes out. Try to inform you guys. The next Movie Pass. No, nothing is ever going to be better than Movie Pass. Oh, I feel like that pass. was amazing. Amazing. I, I got I to the game a little bit late, but it was still a fun ride while it lasted. <laughs> it sure was, dude. It, it just it, it made no sense at all. You could get this little <laughs> debit card, you check it at the movie theater, and once a day you could go see a movie. 
for free. It made no I mean, when sense. You, when you told me about it, I figured that they had some kind of deal in place with all the movie theaters. Nope. Like I didn't realize that they were actually literally paying full price on these debit cards for the movie tickets. They were they were yeah. just hemorrhaging money. Uh, worse than this podcast Oof. is. And they're just they were just going nuts. Shout out to Movie Pass. Yeah, shout out to F, Movie F's in the chat. Yeah, F, press F. <laughs> F in the chat, baby. But I will say, uh, AMC did a really good job of trying to replicate it. You know, Movie Pass I think was nine ninety nine a month, which made no sense. That's cheaper than one ticket. Uh, yeah, at a movie oh my theater. But AMC, so they have this thing called A List, where it's twenty bucks a month, or maybe like low twenties, but I think it's twenty. And you can see up to three movies a week in any AMC theater. And it's all like integrated with their app. It could be like, you know, you can order it online, like IMAX theaters too. Uh, so that's up to 12 movies a month, which is far more than I think anyone would see. So uh, a few friends and I, we migrated from MoviePass when that died over to AMC A-List. And we would start seeing movies all the time, movies we would never see just because, you know, it's like, why not? We have this subscription. It's fun. We go, we hang out, we get some food, we go see a movie. So that's still a thing i haven't gone back into i don't really have time to do that as much as i used to i like that even though movie pass failed miserably they kind of showed that there is an interest for people that were not going to movie theaters that everything's moved online on demand especially pre-covid because covid obviously pushed that as well before that there was like a decline in people just going to the movies in general just because a lot of things were digital so once this was released and everyone started going to movie pass all of the the big brands started doing this again, so I, I thought that was cool that they kind of sparked that up and they showed that hey, that is true. Model yeah. uh, is viable, is something people want, and that's how people can get back out there. So that is cool. Yeah, I think it's good to have that as a subscription base because, like you said, a lot of things like people are just gonna you know, there's very few movies that come out that you have to go see in the theater. At least for me, like yeah. I think I think a lot of people just wait for it to come out on you know like for it to be on TV or whatever. Um, so it's yeah, good. It's yeah. a good idea to like get it, get people in the door buying concessions and all that, you know? Yeah. When they stopped making new twilight movies, I had no reason to go back to the theaters. Oh yeah. Oh, don't get me started on that. Are you team Edward or team Jacob? Uh, I'm just, I'm just bullshitting. I'm, I'm team nobody. Yeah, it's like, yeah, I, I'm aware of, of twilight a little bit, but. Oh, um, I, I know if you guys really want it, you could just give me an answer to that and you know who I'm talking about. Well, I know about. Edward is the one that's like the lighter skin <laughs> guy, right? Like I, a I'm going to say team Jacob. <laughs> Cor- correct, Gary. Yes. Edward <laughs> okay. is. Um, the, yeah, let's go Edward. What's the name of that actor? I forgot his name. I don't remember oh, him, but the other one is Taylor Lautner, I think. That right? is correct. Taylor okay, Lautner. Got, got yeah, one out of two. Taylor. Okay. There team we go. Taylor. <laughs> yeah, Team Taylor. Team Double Taylor. Team. I'm also Team Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> I knew well, it. Well, one other thing that's somewhat related to this, but not really at all. Uh, I thought it was interesting. So Amazon... I guess to try to get into the game, something comparable to Game of Thrones that HBO had, they're going to have a Lord of the Rings TV series. And I think... Oh, hell yeah. And I'm pretty sure it's going to come out next year in September. So September 2022 is kind of what they have slotted right now. This first season is going to cost Amazon $465 million. And that is that makes it the most expensive television show of all time. That's insane. That's that is really insane. I think like at the at the height of Lord of the Rings. At the height of Game of Thrones, I feel like they were spending something like twenty million an episode, which would be you know like ten ten episodes be like two hundred. So this that seems really, really steep. That is really uh, yeah, holy crap. Imagine if it sucks. 
<laughs> like, I mean, it may very well suck. Everyone it could, spoiler honestly. alert. Yeah. I and, and just a disclaimer here. I have never seen a Lord of the Rings movie. I'm probably going to get really? flamed hard for that. But yeah, wow. I've actually never seen Harry Potter movies either. Believe no it or way. not. That's actually really surprising. It's oh just, it's God. not really my genre, I feel like. Like the whole fantasy genre has never really been my thing. But, so but, I watched all of the Lord of the Rings and Star Wars in like quick succession in preparation to go to like a sort of like a cosplay festival thing. It's like a dragon con in Atlanta. <laughs> uh, and I just felt like I needed to brush up on like nerdy stuff because I didn't know I have never watched any of the Lord of the Rings and star Wars, but definitely between the two, I'm, I'm more of a Lord of the Rings guy. I feel like uh, their world is some somewhat more relatable to me. Uh, you know, mm. I could be following along with these it, hobbits. It was a little gritty, like at times. <laughs> I could see that. Were you Legolas yeah, when you uh, when you went and cosplayed? Uh, dude, I wish I was Legolas. Legolas is so cool. I think I, I also have a soft spot in my heart for Lord of the Rings because there was this like PlayStation Two game oh, that I, I used to play. About. Yeah, you know it, right? And it was like incredibly hard. At yeah. The time, oh, is it? Like. Oh, what is it called? Like, uh, I can't remember. Shadow of Mordor, or like, like yeah, the early iterations like that. of that. Oh, what a good game! That was so it was much so fun. Good. Yeah. Honestly, it's underrated yeah. as hell. And I just remember like playing as Legolas. Thought I was so cool. Oh and yeah. I didn't even yeah. watch. I didn't read any of the books. I didn't like watch the yeah. movies at the time, but I loved it. And then when I watched the movies, I was like, oh yeah, this is cool. I, I could yeah. be about this TV show. I'm kind of yeah. Excited. I should probably get on that at some point. I mean, I know they're like good movies. I'm sure they're very good, and I would be entertained. But I just like I don't know. I haven't gotten around to it. Gary, here's right. what you do. So both for Harry Potter and for Lord of the Rings, you go over to the wife. You say, "Hey, we're gonna do. We got this new thing going on now. We're gonna watch all the Harry Potter movies together, and we're gonna just go ahead get some wine. Wingardium Leviosa. We're gonna you know figure out what house oh, we're yeah. gonna be. In. You're gonna become Potterheads. It's gonna be a beautiful date. I mean, thing. she's already she's already a Potterhead, so she would like. Team oh, love that. She would love bringing oh, me up to speed on that. Well, there that. you go. Look at yeah. this great idea. Dude. I don't know about Lord of the Rings. I don't know if she's seen that, but yeah, definitely she's Catch in Catch up the- on the Harry Potter. Yeah. What house do you think Gary would be, Dobbins? Uh Definitely Ravenclaw. No, actually, I'm going to give yeah. him Gryffindor. Yeah, Gary. I want to say Hufflepuff, but I respect Gary. Yeah, I respect Gary. I wouldn't I, even I, say it. Yeah, Gr- you know, he is a Gryffindor. I have no idea what you guys are Gary's talking such about. A Gary, you're a Gryffindor. Okay, um, sounds I know good. Novice and I were aspiring Slytherin students, but we're def- we we got Ravenclaw. Hey, hey, chill out! Don't don't mention this. No, we're not Ravenclaw. We, we literally got Ravenclaw on the te- on the test. I don't believe I, it. I, you know it's the test. It's the it test. was the yeah, official test, data. I think, but uh, we're, I don't we're Ravenclaw. At least we're together. We're Ravenclaw together. I, but I, I did think I was going to get Slytherin for sure, and I didn't. You know, yeah, same here. Yeah, Gary, you, you'll you'll get this. You and the wifey start watching again. She'll start rewatching it with you. You have a great time. You'll see what sounds we're good. About. I, I can't guarantee that I'll report back immediately on that because no. that is a lot of time to sink in. I know that Harry Potter is what seven or eight movies. I think it's eight because they have a, a two-parter, don't they? Yeah, that's a, that's a lot. They, of they had a half. They had a half one like we did. Seven point five. <laughs> I think they did have a seven point five. I think did. the last one was yeah, yeah. Like, just like us. They copied us. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll have to check that out. I'll report back when I do. Very good. I'm, I'm going to watch the startup scene, which is a show not oh, on that episode too. Uh, oh, yeah. I'm not. I would say again, I I definitely stopped watching that show immediately after we uh, discussed it on one of our episodes. That's probably the right call. Who knows? Yeah. Well, Gary, so you'll report back to us on 
your Harry Potter. But can you report to us on our main topic today? Charlie, I would love to bring us to the tech topic of the day, which is cryptocurrency and in particular Bitcoin, which is going to be the one we're focusing on today. And before we dive right into this, I will just say that this is going to be just a really basic outline of Bitcoin. So if you're new to cryptocurrency, if you have no idea what it is, this is probably going to be new to you and very interesting. Anyway, what the hell is Bitcoin is the first thing to start. So basically, the basic idea is decentralization. So well, if you think about any time before Bitcoin was created in human history, if you want to send value from one person to another digitally, you need to do so with a third party intermediary in between. So like if I want to send money to someone in a different country, you need to have like Western Union or somebody in between like that. Yeah. Um, if you want to pay for something online, you need to use a credit card. So the, the credit card company would be the third party. What Bitcoin allows you to do is to, for the first time ever, send value from one person to another in a different place without any third party intermediary in between. The way it does this, normally that third party is the one keeping track of the ledger, right? All the transactions. Um, Visa is keeping track of all the credit card transactions, all Western things, Union. That kind of stuff. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So the difference with Bitcoin is that instead of one entity having the ledger, Everybody has the ledger. That was something that had actually been thought of prior to Bitcoin. There were iterations of it, but they could never really solve the double spend problem, which is the problem that comes about when you're dealing with something digital. It's easy to make a copy of it. So how do you know that it's legit? How do you know that it's scarce, basically? So basically, the way that the Bitcoin uh, network works with technology called blockchain, blockchain basically... You have a bunch of transactions that every 10 minutes, a new block is added to the chain and the entire sequence of transactions from the inception of the network, they have to match up. They cannot be changed ever. Um, so the way that you can be sure that the transactions are legit is basically the network that we talked about, how all the different computers across the world are keeping track of this ledger as opposed to one uh, third party, one centralized entity. Everybody keeps track of it and they have to put up computational power basically using computers to basically make a bunch of guesses as to what um, the solution is to a, a computational problem. So you know that they've spent energy on verifying the transactions and every computer has to do this around the world that's basically securing the network. So because of that, you know it's legitimate. Yeah, so a couple questions here, and obviously you might have some too, I'm not sure, but uh, one with the uh, the ledger part of it. So I've seen online before, it, so when you're saying the public ledger and everyone has access to kind of the transactions that's happening or it's shared across all the computers, almost like a network, mm -hmm. uh, is that the reason why people a lot of times say, hey, there was like a huge investment or a huge dump of Bitcoin and then people will speculate it's either from like Tesla, for example, or like Apple just bought a bunch of Bitcoin. Is that the reason why that's so public facing? Or is that something more just when it comes to like earnings and like the companies themselves, like the public ledger part of it? Like, what does that actually so mean for the, visibility? The public, the public ledger, there's basically a bunch of addresses that are generated from various wallets around the world. And we'll get into yeah. that a little bit more later. But the addresses are pretty much alphanumeric messes of letters mm -hmm. and numbers that 
<laughs> are super long and um yeah. And that's how you send it to one another, right? Like right, you exactly. I would give yeah. you, I would give you my address, like an email address, essentially. But right, it's and, the, and it's and yeah. it is it is totally public. It's not able to be traced to a particular identity, um, mm-hmm. unless you are, for instance, you know, registering with like um, an exchange, which we'll also get into later. Yeah, um, where you have to give them. Um, your identity, and then you might buy coins from the exchange. I guess what about like a business or something? Like, w- would they put their key out there or like identity? Uh, I don't think there's any reason to do that. I think when I think when Tesla bought it, they basically, um, I think they did it through Coinbase, and they were buying it like chunks at a time. It wasn't like one big purchase that they made. Yeah. Okay. Um. So, and they were doing so. I mean, you know, you could. There's like actual data firms that do like analytics of the blockchain to like trace transactions back and forth um because it is like pretty complex to just look at all the bitcoin going from wallet to wallet um address to address but um yeah i i I don't think that you know it's it behooves like a company like tesla to put out you know oh this is our address where we store all our coins or whatever um so but having said that if you are if you're like a content creator or something um, there's no, there's no like um, danger, I guess I would say, to giving people your your public address because it's really only just a receiving address. So I could have, you know, on my YouTube page on my channel, I could put a Bitcoin address at the bottom and say this is for donations. You can send it to this address, and nobody can hack into that address or get my Bitcoin from just having that public um, that public address. If you had a YouTube channel, I would subscribe and I would send you Bitcoin or whatever coin you wanted, Gary. I just want to make that known. You, I mean, you can send it to me right now. Like, I don't have a YouTube channel. No, but no, we'll, we'll talk once you get the YouTube channel. Okay. <laughs> so, so it seems like it's it's secure then, right? It's a very secure thing, even though it's like, you know, a, a specific wallet. The network is super secure. It's never been hacked and it keeps on ticking and adding a new block every mm-hmm. 10 minutes or so. Um, and so in the early days of Bitcoin, people could do what's called mining it. Mining is basically what I talked about earlier, where you put up energy, you use energy basically from your computer to make a bunch of guesses at a correct, you know, solution to a computational problem. But as time went on and the value of it increased, obviously people, more people came in to participate in this mining because you get rewarded in Bitcoin. So obviously it became very valuable. I have a question here. So I, I, I've heard about this before. And like the way I know a lot more about this is like, you know, when I went to build my computer, I was buying a graphics card and I knew that graphics card prices were sky high because it was a time where everyone was mining Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies. So like I, I have this general understanding of, you know, you're using computational power to, you know, solve certain like problems i guess mm-hmm. uh, but like what is the point of that like why why are computers if you're able to answer this like wh- wh- what is the use of this to like what problems are they solving what is the point is it supposed to be like a puzzle on purpose uh how are these bitcoins being given out yeah and, and one thing i want to elaborate on that question a little bit so i have the same question but i always just knew it was just like mining bitcoin like i dumbed it down in my head to just like you have a computer and you're just using the energy that your computer has, like power plugged in with the graphics card and everything to generate Bitcoin. And now you're saying that there's all of these problems being solved and 
I, 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 that, yeah, I don't I might get that get, at all. I might either. have gotten stuck in the weeds a little yeah. bit. So basically, so Bitcoin itself is a software in, in C source code. Um, for those that don't know, that's like a computer language. Yeah. So it was, it was created in 2009. It began by a completely anonymous person named Satoshi Nakamoto or a group of people. I don't know. Nobody knows who it is. Basically, the network started um, and each block that appends to the ledger basically every 10 minutes would issue a, a new 50 Bitcoin reward to whoever was the first one to find the block. Damn. And so that that actually, that issuance gets cut in half roughly every four years. So it went from 50 to 25 to 12 and a half. And I think currently it's at six and a quarter. So every 10 oh, wow. minutes, whoever finds the block first essentially gets the newly minted um, Bitcoin. So the reason that you need somebody to put up computational power and basically spend energy and, and thus like spend money um, is to be able to verify that that work is legitimate. So it's it's called a proof, a proof of work consensus algorithm. So it's a way for everybody to come to a consensus about what the correct ledger is, what the correct blockchain is, and they keep it going. Um, you know, oh, so okay. eventually every computer is going to solve the problem and find the, the block and append it to their ledger. And if it agrees to everyone else's, then, then, you know, that's great. You're all on the same page. If one person, if one person's ledger doesn't agree, if they try to pass it off that they have more Bitcoin to spend than they actually do, then everybody else's ledger is not going to agree to theirs. Um, so, so kind of in other words, I'm trying to sum it up in like my head right now mm -hmm. is like people are, you know, expending power, you know, they're using their computers and, you know, using their computers to essentially confirm this ledger or this like record of transactions. And by doing so and confirming it, they're being, they're, they're being essentially incentivized to do this by getting Bitcoin in exchange. Right. They right? get, they get Bitcoin in exchange. And so they get paid in two ways. They get, there's the block reward for the first computer that comes up with the, the answer basically, um, and finds the block first. And then there's also network fees. So when you send a Bitcoin transaction, you're going to have a little bit of fees. It's typically like less than a dollar, but that also goes into paying the miners so that they get a steady return of Bitcoin. And it's not just that block reward if you get lucky. Gotcha. Cool. Okay. So it's so, just to kind of sort of keep the maintenance and right. Keep it's of to the network itself. yeah. It's they they need to be incentivized basically to to verify and secure the network. Um, and so if you think about it in terms of like an analogy would be. Um, a fly trapped in amber, like over millions of years, um, you you can kind of date back, um, you know, how old it is. And you know that on the very on the inside, this fly is 65 million years old or something like that. So when you have a, uh, a block that's, you know, from years ago, you know that all the other blocks that have been added on top of that have been verified you know that that one is legit. Um, that chain is is the correct chain. Nice. 
So Gary, it, it sounds like that's like kind of how Bitcoin's generated, how it's mined, and where it comes from. And I, I learned a lot there. Like I, I really just thought it was yeah, like, that really like pieced together a lot. Yeah, of, like, it pieced a lot for me. But so for Bitcoin, so the reason I get you said the anonymous person uh, created it. I don't remember the name that he used. Satoshi uh, Nakamoto, a, a fake name, I guess. Yeah, is that yeah. like a, you? Okay, an, an alias. Anonymous listener number three, then. But uh, so this person created it, and and why why did they create it? Like, why is big? Like, what's the use case for Bitcoin? Like, obviously, I, I know a little bit about it now that it's popular. But like, what would you say was the use case that made Bitcoin grow in popularity, and why this person even created it? So basically, if you read the original, there was along with the source code that Satoshi released into the wild um, and just started running in two thousand nine. He released a white paper that basically detailed everything about the currency and basically called it a peer-to-peer electronic cash system. So peer-to-peer meaning that it's directly from me to you, from the sender to the receiver. There's no third-party intermediary in between. So I think that's and and the way that you know it's it's called a cryptocurrency. I think a lot of people think of it as like cash, but um, the way that I think about it is more akin to gold. So um, because it's finite in supply and nobody can create more of it and nobody can mess with the network, all the transactions are immutable, meaning they can't be changed or altered or deleted in any way. I think that it has a lot of the same properties of gold. And that's why I think a lot of people have gotten in on it. Um, you know, that it, thinking that the, the value is going to go up over time because it's basically deflationary as opposed to inflationary. So it gets the supply issuance gets lower and lower as time goes on. That makes sense. Yeah, especially the gold comparison there. It's that makes a lot more sense than I would have yeah, thought yeah. from the surface. Yeah, I think, I mean, so there's there's generally like three three uses for money or three properties. So that's mm-hmm. a means of exchange. So I can, I can use it to buy something at the grocery store or whatever. There's a store of value. So it's going to hold value over time. And then there's a unit of account. So I can, I, I can know that, you know, one, um, you know, Coke is a dollar or something like that. Um, I think as of now, it mostly fills that store of value um, property and somewhat the means of exchange, but it's getting um, more widely adopted, I think, um, every day, and particularly in countries where, um, you know, the local currency is either failing or like on the verge of failing, or, you know, they just can't trust the government. Um, They literally like, you know, that was one of the use cases I was going to mention, actually, was places like Venezuela, where they've had like hyperinflation. I mean, people have literally had to take like wheelbarrows full of money, to the grocery store to, to buy stuff. It's crazy. And, you, and oh my God. And yeah. you can't and and a lot of people in these places are are unbanked, meaning they don't have access to like basic financial services like a checking account or credit cards or you know they can't move money across borders. They can't invest in stocks, that sort of thing. So if you just get paid out in like a Bolivar, which is like the the Venezuelan currency um, you just have to go spend it hot potato because you know it's going to be worth less and less as time goes on. So there's really no way to like hold your wealth or grow your wealth if you're in that kind of scenario. And I think Bitcoin offers another alternative for people in those kind of situations. Is that why you're seeing too? Like I, I know El Salvador recently adopted uh, accepting it, like kind of 
what throughout the whole country, right? Is 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 that like a similar situation there? I, I know it's, it's different in terms of what's going on in Venezuela, but like, why are we are we going to start to see that more? You think in terms of like a global currency of sorts that'll be accepted, and what would those reasons be? Yeah, I mean, I think so. First of all, I think for people in the United States and like in Europe, there are places where the currency is generally stable. You can trust that one dollar is going to be worth one dollar tomorrow, and you're going to have basically the same purchasing power. It goes down a little bit over time, but not crazy. Um, for for people in places like the U.S., it, this is mainly a speculative asset for people to invest in, hoping to make a, a higher return in the future. Sounds like yeah, me. yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so but for like El Salvador, I think that actually a couple decades back, I was reading a little bit more about it, but um, I, I, I'm by no means an expert on the the whole situation down there. But I think they actually went to the U.S. dollar as their main currency because their own currency was basically getting inflated like crazy as well. And so I think that's part of the reason that the new president is really gung-ho on Bitcoin and trying to like push adoption of it. And uh, they actually, um, they, they have uh, a bunch of Bitcoin ATMs now in, that are going in in El Salvador. There's going to be 1,500 of them installed throughout the country where you can basically go. It's completely anonymous. You don't have to like register with it or anything. It works like just like a regular ATM. You put your cash in. You get Bitcoin into your mobile wallet or whatever the case may be, or vice versa. So that's pretty cool. For places like El Salvador, also, there's basically. Would that mean they have like a store of like Bitcoin? Like they've got a ton of Bitcoins that they're like, all right, you just put in some cash <laughs> and we're going to pass it off. I, I, someone has to own that Bitcoin, right? Like who who is this? All right, I, I'm asking too many questions. Please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. There must be like an exchange maybe yeah. attached to the ATM service, right? I think Something the ATMs, like I, I don't know exact. I've never used a Bitcoin ATM myself, but I think they're all connected to the internet and connected to basically the address, like you said, of whoever owns it. Like yeah. I'm assuming that the companies installing the El Salvador, the government hired actually like an American company to come in and install all these. And mm-hmm. I'm assuming that they are going to fill them with a certain stock of Bitcoin for people that want to like withdraw Bitcoin, you know, because you're right. Somebody has to have it and needs to come from somewhere. True. Um, I don't know all the mechanics about how the, yeah. the ATMs work, but um, there is another. I'm sorry. Go uh, ahead. What I was going to say, though, it, it makes sense why, especially in El Salvador, where it's really being pushed by the president and for a good reason for what you're saying but i've noticed just driving to like random corner shops and like oh, that's exactly. mart that's like type things stations. like like here in fort lauderdale actually i'm seeing more and more like we have a bitcoin atm bitcoin AT, like like it's like big signage here like where you would normally see like western union for example right so right, right. It's interesting that they're pushing that here too, even though the use case being very speculative and, and more of like an investing thing. Like, why do you think we're also seeing that here in the U.S. a little bit? Like, I think that's like- probably for another use case I was going to get into, which is people who want to send money abroad to their families. Um, Fair, so for, that makes sense. For that, I oh. think it's I think it's a really good alternative to something like Western Union that takes a lot of fees off the top. Typically, the fees for a Bitcoin transaction are very low like I said, under a dollar usually. And the only fee that you would have to pay, you know, like on the receiving end to to do that transaction would be basically like the the off ramp to the local currency. So um, for instance, if you were going to, if you were going to send money from the US to 
Venezuela or, or um, you know, El Salvador, the person receiving it might go to the ATM, give them a receiving address, and they would send it there. You'd get maybe 4% uh, fees taken off for selling it versus um, fees in excess of like 25, 30% for Western Union transfers. So, oh, I was about, um, to, I was about to ask. I've never done a transfer like that. So, is that they, they the, can be that high? Yeah. It's typically yeah, like 10%. Plus. Yeah. It's a lot. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, and those are, and th- those are like transfers of, of, you know, that's money that people are using basically to, to, you know, take care of their everyday expenses. So, like every, yeah. every dollar counts in those sort of, situation no that makes sense it's like i this is me where i'm ignorant and i just didn't realize like you know i'm i you know we're in this age of having venmo and sending money to each other really quickly you know you know to our peers but there is a high cost of transferring you know money to uh you know a foreign country you know especially overseas and you know i don't have that experience but realizing that this is one of these benefits is very cool yeah, I yeah. think I think that's that's something that's easy to like lose sight of. If you know, if you live in the U.S., you can just freely pay your friends with Venmo or Zelle. Like, there's there's not really a need for it here. And I think in a perfect world, there wouldn't be a need for it. But it just provides an alternative. If you live in a place, if you if you don't yeah. have access to banking, if you live in a place that's maybe um, you know, like an authoritarian regime that might shut off your bank account for saying the wrong thing on social media or whatever. Um, it's yeah. something that, you know, it's, it's anonymous in a way it's kind of pseudonymous. Um, so like a, it, a particular address isn't necessarily linked to a person's identity, like I said. Um, so I think there's a lot of use cases for it when you are living, in, you know, in that type of regime or in a government that's prone to like, um, you know, print money, like it's no tomorrow. Um, so in, in that sense, I would, I would definitely compare it to gold because when you have your Bitcoin keys, basically nobody, nobody can take it away from you unless they, they have the password. Essentially you can, you can even remember, um, basically the seed, which we'll talk about later in, in your head. And there's literally no way for someone to steal it unless they like, you know, coerce you. And I, I suppose somebody could like beat you up and, and ask you to Social give them the, engineering. Po- <laughs> yeah. So yeah. yeah, the wrench attack, the $5 wrench attack as it's known, but um, Wait, yeah. what is that? Yeah. What, what is that? <laughs> what? The $5 wrench attack? The $5 wrench attack is like something that people joke about online. It's like, because there's like 51% attacks of the network and all this crazy stuff, like like DDoS, whatever, like different oh, DDoS like, attacks, cyber okay. attacks, and like the yeah. five dollar wrench attack is like, yeah, works like a charm every time. You just oh, beat, it's just beat oh, someone like up with a wrench. To buy a wrench oh, and okay. you beat them up. It's yeah. like all these intricate things. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. All right, <laughs> that's funny. So, so you you have been comparing, um, especially for the U.S. and for investment purposes, right? Uh, Bitcoin to gold, right? So. And I remember, like, I don't remember, like, what the time frame was, but, like, the resurgence of investing in gold came up maybe, like, the past five to eight years, like, quite a bit more. At least, like, in people I was talking to, like, people started doing that more. But would you say right now, like, and, of course, things can change, you know, the value changes. Like, you know, we're comparing it to investing in gold. Like, are there competitive advantages that Bitcoin has over investing in gold, in your opinion? Or, like, if you're looking at this just from an investment perspective, like, 
you know, how would you compare the two? Yeah, I would say, I mean, first of all, let me just say that none of this is investment advice. So don't take my yeah. advice and go do anything crazy. You're not financial yeah, advisor. I'm definitely not a financial advisor. And I'm we're, we're not even an expert. Idiots. I'm not an expert on this at all. I just have like a, a surface level understanding of it. But anyway, comparing it to gold, I would say it has a lot of the same properties of gold in that it's scarce. Um, so gold um, you know, is, is, is finite in nature as well. There's only so much of it in the ground and people are still mining it, but most of it probably has already been mined, um, that feasibly can be, um, it's not forgeable. So it's easy. It's not easy to like fake it. Um, it, that that's the case with both Bitcoin and gold. Um, but then I think a, a couple of the properties that make Bitcoin preferable to gold are that it's, more easily divisible. So actually, um, one Bitcoin is divisible by 100 million. Um, so that's the smallest um, unit of a Bitcoin is one 100 millionth. So eight wow, decimal okay. places. And that's referred to as one Satoshi. Um, Where it's like getting so, like the, the most tiniest piece of gold. Right. Right. So that's that <laughs> currently, even, even though a Bitcoin is like 40,000 or whatever it is right now, one Satoshi is like, you know, a hundredth or three hundredths of a, of a cent or something like that. Um, it's a very small amount. Um, so it's, it's easily divisible. You don't have to think that you need to buy a whole coin. It's not like that at all. You can put in a very small amount if you want to. Um, the other property that I like about it is that it's more easily transferable. So like we talked about before, you can just literally get, you know, as long as you both have internet access, the sender gets an address from the receiver. They propagate the transaction out to the network. They take care of the rest and then the transaction goes through and it's verified usually within 10 minutes and it's done. It's settled. Think um, about the cost of mailing a bullion of gold. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so like, and the security that goes with it, the security that you need around it, you need a Brinks truck driving all over the place. Yeah. Nobody, nobody has time for that. And then obviously the storage cost of gold. Again, you need a ton of security to store it, which is costly. Um, Bitcoin, you can you can store it uh, a number of ways, which we'll get into later, but um, it's definitely cheaper. So I think wins in that regard as well. So I think in, in a lot of ways, it's better to gold and I think it's disrupting gold. I mean, if you look at all the gold, it, you know, like I said, I think 40,000 per Bitcoin or whatever seems insane. Like, okay, I put up a thousand dollars and I got one fortieth of a Bitcoin. Like, okay, great. Like, what do I do now? Um, but if you think about like the total market cap of all the Bitcoin or all the crypto in the world versus like the total market cap of other asset classes, because that's what I see it as. It's like a new asset class in itself. Um, so gold is worth $11 trillion, roughly all the gold in the world. Doesn't sound like that much. All the Bitcoin... Uh, it is a lot of money. Um, all the <laughs> I mean, Bitcoin... We're going to have more students. Sounds like a lot to me, man. Yeah, it is a lot of money. All the student loan debt than gold. (laughs) All the Bitcoin in the world is worth less than one trillion. Um, So if you figure it captures a part of the the market cap, basically, of gold, then, you know, it still has room to go up a lot. And that doesn't even take into account like the the industry of like money transfer services and all the actual use cases that it has. So, yeah, I think in my opinion, it still has room to grow. But um, the, the speculation that people do over it, like in places like the U.S., and elsewhere has driven it up a lot, um, you know. So invest with caution. It could always go down by fifty percent tomorrow. Um, 
But over the long term, if you hold it for any, you know, three year period, you're doing really well, you're up a lot. So um, in my opinion, what, what I do is I just try to set aside money every so often, dollar cost average, meaning like I'll put in a set amount, you know, every month, um, it, no matter what the price is. And then, you know, if I have a little bit more that I, I'm willing to set aside for a number of years, then I'll buy a little bit more as well. Um, so that's basically my approach to it. Right, so for I, I think one of the things that comes with Bitcoin or cryptocurrency in general is there's a lot of people that are very skeptical of it, right? There's people that, you know, don't believe in it long term. Maybe there are there like misconceptions that you hear or, or things that maybe people are saying that you feel like aren't necessarily true or maybe that are maybe they're not informed because uh, there is a lot of people that are against crypto. I, I've heard that. Right. Yeah, I think I think the first one that stands out to me that's the biggest criticism of it is that it's bad for the environment oh that's interesting i was going to ask you about because that. it does because it does use as it's gotten bigger you know the difficulty automatically adjusts um every two weeks or so so basically it takes more computational power and more energy to mine it as it gets bigger as it gets more expensive um and so it is a it's a legitimate concern mm-hmm. um but i think it's misunderstood a lot because I mean, based on it, there's varying, you know, articles and studies that have been done. Um, but I think generally, I know it's a wide range, but between 50 and 75% of the energy used to secure the network is already through renewables. So it's already through renewable energy sources, green energy. The other thing is there's basically stranded energy that might come from like a solar plant that's generating energy at different times than it's being used. There's a lot of energy that doesn't get stored and basically just goes to waste. It never gets used. So a lot of Bitcoin miners are going to places like this and buying cheap energy that would normally be totally wasted and unused. And it's a win-win because the solar plant, they make money on uh, energy that would normally go to waste. And then the Bitcoin miners, they get cheaper um, energy to run their mining rigs and everything. And so they're, they're more profitable. So cool. Okay. And, and when that happens, um, you know, it actually, it actually funds uh, more investment in, in those renewable energy infrastructures because they can pay down the cost of a solar plant in fewer years than they maybe would have, um, originally. It actually kind of indirectly funds more investment in green energy that way. So I think, and also, um, a lot of, major uh, crypto companies and, and mining companies recently um, came to an agreement called the the Crypto Climate Accord, which is kind of like the Paris Climate Accord, where they're going to work to, you know, make it, you know, as close to 100% renewable as possible by like 2030 or something like that. So um, I think thinking that it's going to like cook the ocean or it's going to be like the nail in the coffin for like global warming, I don't think is, um, I, I think it's misleading at best, you know, for the reasons I mentioned, I think it, you know, it can actually be looked at as a net positive for the environment. That's cool, Gary. I, I was, so what I've heard a lot is, um, especially criticisms t- toward this is that, that we're in a bubble, particularly because there is this speculative value of what Bitcoin is, um, you know, probably from traders like myself. Um, and then there is the cost to actually run the network. And that the cost to run the network is very high and that the value of what Bitcoin really is currently does not equate to that cost. Um, I don't really know too much about this myself. If you have an answer here, 
awesome. If not, so basically you're you're saying I mean that can happen when there's like when there's a crazy spike in demand. Um, you know, obviously it's it's just driven by supply and demand. So if there's fewer people selling than there are buying, then they're going to negotiate that price and it's going to go up and up and up. There's going to be fewer bitcoins to go around um, for the, all the buyers. And then so we've seen like huge spikes in the price in a matter of like, you know, weeks or even days um, that can happen. And then basically, you know, the mining becomes crazy uh, profitable and a whole bunch of people come into mining and, and um, you know, there's a lot more energy being used. Um, and then the price can subsequently crash when people who are trying, trying to make a quick buck decide to, you know, sell at the top and take profits and, and get out. Um, so that is something that can happen. And it's definitely, I mean, like, like I said, it's, it's a risky investment. You know, I wouldn't put any money in that you're not willing to lose or watch go down a lot in a short period of time. And it's really volatile. But if you look at it over the long term, it's basically gotten less and less volatile um, over the years. It was more, way more volatile, volatile um, you know, back in 2011, 2013, when it was like in the very nascent stage than, than it is today, even though it still is volatile compared to like stocks and bonds or whatever. Um, yeah, imagine imagine buying Bitcoin and holding it from 2011 to 2013 and now. Oh, man, we'd be living large. That, that was actually something that I forgot to mention from earlier was that one of the first transactions that took place in real life for Bitcoin. So for actual like something physical of value was a transaction for pizza. You may already have heard about this. Was it? But somebody uh, it. somebody yeah. bought, I believe, two Papa John's pizzas, I think for 10,000 Bitcoin. So, oh my God. <laughs> so that's nuts. Yeah, that's pretty insane. It's definitely the most expensive pizza of all time. But but I mean, those now. those kinds of transactions in the early days of the currency are needed to kind of set the value. Yeah. 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 And, and for people who don't know around the value right now, like that's around 340 million, 380 million dollars. Crazy. Today. Yeah, for Papa John's pizza. <laughs> But one of the things too, so I, I didn't realize all that when it came to the environmental concerns. I know Elon Musk mentioned it like a few times. He had concerns and the value plummeted quickly mm-hmm. when he said that. And, you know, so he he can drive the price alone for a lot of different reasons. And I know Dogecoin's involved there. But one of the other things I feel like people have said about Bitcoin or maybe even skeptical of, and we talked about this briefly uh, on a previous episode, but legal activities or legal purchases made with Bitcoin, right? Because it's anonymized. Uh, you know, while the everything is public with it, uh, at the same time, you know, there's no name attached. So we talked about before how Silk Road used to be something in the dark web where people would go and buy drugs essentially online and they would use Bitcoin because it couldn't be tied to anyone. It would be anonymous. So do you think that there is a, a real concern when it comes to people leveraging Bitcoin for legal activities and is that something that is, yeah, like I said, like a, like a real concern is there, is it fostering more illegal activities and payments for it? Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's fostering more illegal activity than would be happening normally. Um, I mean, definitely in the early days of, of the currency, you're right. There was literally a site called Silk Road that people went to jail for that you can, you could buy and sell any type of drug known to man for Bitcoin. Um, obviously, that got shut down after a period of time. But I mean, that that kind of happens with any technology. I mean, an, any new technology you have, you know, when the internet was coming out, um, 
you know, when it was in the early stages, a lot of the people who are using it were using it for like illicit activities. Um, I think as it gets bigger, it'll be, you know, mostly used for legitimate activities. Um, already in 2020, about only half a percent of all the transactions on the network were used for illegal activity. Um, that's a rough amount, but um, it's a very small number. And if you look at um, the illegal activities that take place with, you know, regular um, fiat currency like uh, the U.S. dollar, there's literally billions of dollars in in fines paid every year for a lot of these banks that um, don't follow the anti-money laundering laws um, and are doing all kinds of shady business with drug cartels and 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 crazy, um, you know, illegal activity. So. Um, I don't think that it really contributes to illegal activity. I think that's kind of a scapegoat that um, maybe uh, government figures or, or people in power um, use to kind of demonize it. But um, personally, I, I, I think that's kind of a myth. Interesting. Okay. So the other, so I, I guess one question I have too, it, and I might just have no idea what I'm talking about. So I'm thinking very basic, like, you know, I don't know anything about money laundering or like how to do that. Like I know the premise, like I've seen Ozark on Netflix, you know, so like I, <laughs> nice. I'm an expert, but the, I'll choose as an example, like, is there a way for like the character in that show and just to briefly summarize it, he is taking money from a casino, a drug cartel, and he is cleaning it, you know, and getting the money back there. Right. So classic money laundering. Like if you were to get Bitcoin in that equation somehow, if you were to exchange cash for Bitcoin somewhere, or like figure out how to do that, would that make it easier to not get caught for doing something like money laundering? Or would it actually make it easier to get caught in some other way, like maybe because of that transaction to get the Bitcoin? Like, is there mm. is there actually like any type of benefit like to doing some of those things that are normally done with cash, but with Bitcoin yeah. for legal purposes. That's that's a really good question. I don't I don't think that there that there would be. I know that there was a recent case where the FBI actually was able to seize some money that was like ransom money that was paid out to people in Bitcoin. Um, the the FBI was able to like trace it back yeah. to the people that received it. Um, I think using a, a, a public ledger, even though it is, like I said, like pseudonymous kind of, um, you know, th it doesn't have an identity straight on the ledger, but using a public ledger that people can see for all time um, is definitely not a good idea uh, if you're a criminal. Um, so you're telling me it's a bad idea if I started selling drugs and then taking the cash proceeds and putting them into a Bitcoin ATM <laughs> uh, to then transfer and hopefully that would actually uh, probably you know, be see. pretty safe um right <laughs> yeah because you're, yeah. you're taking because you're taking cash <laughs> from them me. the cash is untraceable that you're taking you always have some kind of like illegal uh, question on this. <laughs> hmm. you're taking huh. cash from them and then hmm. you know the, the atm doesn't take your identity or I'm anything like my that beard so right now. yeah as am I. You may have just hatched an idea. Wow. But Maybe yeah. Ozark will incorporate this in a future season, getting the, cryptocurrency <laughs> into it. So the other the other thing, Charlie, you asked me about um, like misconceptions. Um, yeah. The other thing I would touch on would be that the network is prone to being hacked or is somehow not secure. And that could not be farther from the truth. Um, the network has kept on chugging ever since it started in 2009. There's a new block every 10 minutes. It's never gone offline. It's up 24-7. And I think the reason that there's a misconception around that is because there have been major 
exchanges and centralized entities that have been hacked and did lose the coins. So there was a big one in, I think it was 2014 before I was into it, although I wish I had been into it at that time, um, where it was basically an exchange called Mt. Gox, M.T. Gox. And it originally had that name um, because it was a Magic the Gathering online exchange where people would exchange stuff for Magic the Gathering online. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that at all. Oh my God. That kind of stuff. Uh, I'm actually, I never got into that. Um, You know, things such as RuneScape, Pokemon trading cards. Sure, you got me. But no, not Magic the Gathering. For who you are, you don't need to lie. I I would own it. I would, I I wasn't cool (laughs) enough to do that. But I had, I I knew about this and I knew the name, but I had no idea that it was from Magic the Gathering. I I, I love that. (laughs) I I just, I love learning this little nugget game. Yeah. So, so that was that was originally why the the website was called MT Gox, um, and eventually the the person who owned the website decided that uh, you know they were into the cypherpunk cryptocurrency stuff and thought it was like the new currency of the internet. So they thought that there should be a place online where people can exchange it for money. Um, and so MT Gox was born in the early days, and in 2014, basically. Um, the exchange got hacked. So I don't know the exact mechanics of how they stored all the private keys. Basically, when you have Bitcoin in in a particular address, you need a private key that that goes to that address in order to spend it. Um, So kind of like a password, you can can say. Um, And if you have your coins held by an exchange, basically that exchange has custody of the coins. You don't really have um, possession of your own coins if you hold it in an exchange. So it's prone to being hacked or lost. So somehow hackers got into their database. I don't know if they were keeping all these private keys on a Excel spreadsheet somewhere on their network or something, but they got access to it and they basically lost all the Bitcoin that was in the exchange, which was about 850,000 Bitcoin. Um, which is kind of a crazy oh, amount. Oh God! Yeah, that wow. would be. Worth, I don't know what it what it would be today. It would definitely be in the billions. Um, I think at the time yeah. it was like hundreds of millions. But yeah. So, but that's talk about a bad day. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. So obviously they went under. Um, but yeah, that's that's something that I think is another common misconception that uh, you know you it can be hacked. Um, somebody can hack an address and steal your coins. That's never happened. Um, and as the network gets bigger it gets more secure and it's even more unlikely to happen. So um, that's just another tidbit on that. Yeah, I, I had no idea. The Magic the Gathering thing, I, I still love that that piece of information. Like, I, I'm just I'm <laughs> so pleased. Out of that. So I guess, Gary, so you gave us a lot of misconceptions. You talked about the value of it for investing standpoint, as well as just from a currency standpoint in some countries where this is very valuable. But let's just say, you know, you are looking to invest or buy it, you know, on maybe an exchange or you want to, you don't know too much about it. Maybe you want to get started, throw a little bit of money in there. Um, how would you do that? Like, what are the options? How would you recommend going about it? Uh, could you touch on that a little bit to kind of wrap it up here? Yeah, sure. So there's various exchanges online that you can register with. Um, it's similar to like a brokerage account. Um, so if you have like investments in the stock market or anything like that. It's very similar to that. You would set up an account. There's um, big ones, Coinbase. Uh, that's the one that I use, actually, Coinbase Classic. Pro. Um, there's Gemini, Kraken, Binance. Um, and some of these, I think Coinbase is only in the US. 
Um, I think some of those other ones are in other countries as well. But there's also um, you can buy it on uh, Cash yes, App. For our uh, foreign listeners um, that are That's not in correct. the US. That's correct. Yes. So they need to know Please this. Please check you know, which <laughs> exchanges will work best for you. So there's also Cash App. That's uh, Square's app. Um, you can buy Bitcoin on there. Um, so there's varying um, fees that are taken out for buying. They're typically pretty low. But I would say that the go-to for me is... Um, Coinbase Pro. So if you buy it on regular Coinbase, it's like a more sort of user-friendly experience, um, but the fees are a little bit higher. So it might be, you know, a couple percent all the way up to maybe three and a half percent if you're buying with a credit card or something like that. Um, Coinbase Pro, it's basically the same, it's the same company um, and it's the same steps to set up an account with them. Um, So you'd have to give them all your personal information. You have to get, I think I had to give them like a picture of my ID you know, your social, you have to give them like everything because they're like a registered money transfer company or whatever with the, um, the government. So they, they legally have to have to get all your information. Um, it's so like, I can tax you, right? For, yeah, for, it's like KYC rules, they call it, uh, know your customer. So, um, oh. but anyway, if you, so if you do it on Coinbase Pro, it's, it looks a little bit more, um, daunting maybe at first it's, uh, it looks like I told you guys before, it looks kind of like a Bloomberg terminal with like these crazy candles going up and down for the price. But um, once you get to to using it, it's really not that bad. And you can buy coins, I think, for it's like a half a percent um, up to certain amounts. If you buy a little more, um, the percentage fees would go down. So if you buy like 100 bucks in Bitcoin, um, you'd only be paying 50 cents in fees. Um so that would be um, the main thing to know about buying it. Yeah, you just have to set up an account, um, one of those places. Um, and the next thing to know after that, if you're putting in a significant amount, would be storage. So you can, as I said before, if you store your keys on the exchange, they truly have the keys. They have your coins. Since the Mt. Gox hack, I think most of these exchanges have gotten a lot more serious about like storing uh, their keys in, in cold storage, basically like not on a computer that's connected to the internet that's prone to being hacked or something like that. So it's probably safer than it, than it was before, obviously, but it's still ultimately um, they say like not your keys, not your coins. So if you're investing a significant amount into it, I would definitely recommend sending it off an exchange. So what's the significant amount? What would you just I mean, estimate that, that to? Depends on the person. If I mean, a significant amount could be $100. It could be $100,000, depending on who you are. I don't know. If you're Bezos, it could be $100 million. How much is like a storage feature? So, okay. So the there's LED various dollars. storage options that you can have that are varying degrees of cost and security. So... If you have a mobile, there's mobile wallets that you can literally just have the crypto on your phone, which would be very insecure because your phone is connected to the internet. It would be considered a hot wallet. Um, There's also a desktop wallet, which is going to be a little bit more secure just because it's probably less prone to being hacked than a phone. Um, However, this would still be considered a hot wallet. There's Free ones that you can buy out there, or I'm sorry, that you can download. There's one called Electrum um, that I used for a while that's pretty easy to use. Um, I'd never had any issues with it. But again, if you're if you're investing a significant amount, I would recommend getting a hardware wallet. So 
there's a couple different ones. There's Ledger and Trezor um, are the biggest ones. And so this is literally a physical wallet. It looks like maybe a USB flash drive um, that you basically plug into your computer. You send the coins to this to this uh, wallet and it stores your private keys. And then you unplug it and it's you store it away for safekeeping. So I have a question here, Gary. Um, what would happen if you like, you know, sat or stepped on this hardware wallet like Charlie had broken the iPad at the karaoke? That's a good question. So when you get a brand new hardware wallet, um, it generates what's called a seed, which is a 24. It's either a 12 or it's a 24 word phrase, depending on your choice. 24 would be more secure, obviously. But it's a bunch of random words stringed together that basically in the event you lose your wallet, you could recover your coins with this seed phrase with a with a different wallet. Um, so obviously, if you have that seed, that's all you need to recover those coins. You have to protect it at all costs. If you lose that seed, you lose your coins, period. Oh, man. So, so it's risk reward for just trying to be more secure in case you well, lose so, your wallet. So it's just about like taking the right steps to secure that that seed and your wallet. So you need to have, obviously... First of all, you have the hardware wallet. You have a secure password to use it to send the Bitcoin so that somebody can't break in, steal the wallet and, you know, easily guess your password and and spend it or whatever. Um, But then also when that seed phrase is generated from the wallet, you literally just write it down on a piece of paper, a physical piece of paper. You never take a picture of it. You never put it in your phone. Anything digital you completely avoid. So you have it just literally on a piece of paper. And if you want to be extra cautious about it, you can, um, you know, you can put it in a a fireproof safe. You can put it into a bank security deposit box. Um, But yeah. Invisible ink. There you go. Invisible ink. (laughs) That's another good one. God, with a blue light. Nobody would ever think about that. So you're you're recommending the wallets, I guess, for for more like larger transactions, more security or, or larger, I guess, investments or however you would call it. But the exchange is likely, it seems like are, for the, the easygoing starting investor probably are okay, it sounds like. I mean, that's what I'm personally doing. So, I mean, I, I haven't got a wallet yet. But one thing you did mention with the with kind of why the exchanges require so much information, um, or, or maybe Novice mentioned it, but I, I think it was you, Gary. Who cares? Mm-hmm. It was the, ta- the taxing of it, right? Yes. So how does it work when it comes to... Um, you know, how is this taxed right now? Is it just like capital gains tax? Is it like stocks? Uh, is are there specific rules right now? Like, you know, if if I buy in and it, it blows up, like, what can I expect to pay if I'm trying to cash out? Yeah. So uh, first of all, before I answer that about the taxes, I should say I forgot to answer Nafis's question about the cost of the hardware wallets. I think the ledger is like sixty bucks, and the treasure is maybe a hundred bucks or something like that. So okay. again, if you're oh, if you're reasonable. storing you know, if you're storing $20,000 or something, I think it's worth 60 bucks to like send it off the exchange personally. But, um, but anyway, so yeah, the tax implications, it's still, this is still super new. So they're still deliberating about how exactly to treat it right now. It's treated as property. So basically, um, like a stock, um, you know, you, you would buy, if you buy Bitcoin at, you know, $30,000 and it goes up to $60,000, um, you would be taxed on that $30,000 gain um, when you sell it. So you wouldn't have to worry about it until you go to sell. 
Um, I know there's been some talk about taxing what's called unrealized gains, meaning gains yeah, that, I've heard you've, that you've That's gotten, ridiculous. but you haven't sold it yet. But I, I don't think that would ever happen. Um, yeah, I heard that it was like industry wide. And I was like, yeah, right. That would yeah. destroy real I, estate. That yeah. would destroy like everything. I That's don't, insane. Yeah, I don't see that happening, but that again, would destroy it's, investing. it's still really new. Um, so there's still things coming down the pipeline on like the tax treatment of it. Um, I am not a tax expert, even though I'm a CPA, believe it or not. So um, I would get in touch with your tax person if you have a significant amount of crypto that you're looking to sell. Um, but yeah, as long as you're not selling it, you really don't need to worry about the tax treatment just yet. Um, I know that when I went to do my taxes this past year, it, you know, it asked me if I had invested or owned any crypto at any time of the year. And I said yes, but um, that was basically it. I didn't need to, to give them anything more because I didn't um, sell any. Um, so as of now, if you're just buying and holding... Um, unless you're doing like short-term trading of it or whatever, you don't you don't really need to worry about the tax implications right now. What if you said no, but you did have Bitcoin? If I said no, I would I would probably still be okay because like only one percent or less than one percent of people are audited, and I I don't think I'm like big enough to be worth their while to audit. So, well, you uh, are a podcast host now. That's true. Oh, that's by the true. Way, I'm a so, podcaster. Yeah. Sorry, that was a loaded question there. Yeah, that was a loaded question, Charlie. So, does that kind of answer you on the taxes? Or I know I did, that was kind no, of no. It, it does um, perfectly. I may consult actually. you after this episode. Okay, okay. Uh, I, I might have put no, um, and I, I'm scared. <laughs> you shouldn't say that publicly. We should. I'm just kidding. I don't even have reported. anything. Yeah, don't report me, please. So, but no, I'm sorry. What were you gonna say? Not the important. <laughs> So anyway, the last thing that I would bring up um, in terms of just, you know, practical uses of it and everything, similar to what you guys were talking about uh, a couple weeks back with Rakuten and Honey for cash back, um, there is actually a site called Lolly that offers Bitcoin back um, from various vendors. And there's pretty big retailers on there. Um, so it's pretty easy to use. I think the best way to, they, they do have an app, um, but I think the best way to use it is through um, their desktop um, extension, or the, I'm sorry, their browser mm -hmm. extension. Yeah. Um, and and it I think basically works the same. I have not used it personally, um, but I plan to get on it soon because it seems I was really about good. To ask if you yeah. have a referral link. Yeah, yeah. I don't get have a referral link. We'll blast that bad boy. <laughs> How do you spell this, Lolly? L O L L I. Like lollipop. So I think it would work basically the same way as those those cashback programs that you guys mentioned a couple weeks back, where you basically, you know, go onto the website, the Lolly website, click into a particular vendor that you want to shop from, and then Lululemon. Exactly. I don't know if Lululemon is on there. I would have to check. I think they had Athleta, which is another high-end sportswear brand if i'm not mistaken i don't know. only charlie would know charlie would know this or is that only like yeah. women's clothes maybe i don't know so charlie wears those too i know the brand you're talking <laughs> about i've never said that brand name out loud before like it's an app because you're a new lemon um, guy i don't know i i don't know but it is a brand you're right okay but, yeah, so that's another one. I mean, there's a bunch of major retailers on there that you can look at, yeah. but um, that's just another little cool way to to get Bitcoin without thinking about it. And if you, um, you know, if you want to sign up for that, maybe instead of Rakuten, instead of Honey, and then the instead of getting cash in your pocket, you get Bitcoin in your wallet, and then one day maybe it's worth a lot more. Who knows? 
Um, so that's that's another you're little. Not, you're not even using Lolly. Yeah, you don't even have a referral link. Well, we're gonna get the referral link. Well, that means I can that's be trusted right. because I don't have like a motive here. You know, my motive on our last podcast where we went over uh, Rockyton and Honey, or actually our, our second to last podcast, if you include our half episode seven point five, uh, was to inform people of the cash yeah. they're missing out on. There was no ulterior feel motive. Like there's less legitimacy yeah. without the the actual use. Yes, case yes. I didn't. I but wasn't you know, accusing you guys of anything. I was just saying that I don't have a motive. I'm accusing you. I feel like you're being a little defensive. I feel defensive. Okay. Well, you're right. I probably right. am. Right. But, <laughs> but you know what? We will get the lolly link for y'all. We'll 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 lolly it up. Uh, but it'll it'll be there in the show notes. And another thing too with the show, I, I probably should say this on the front end. We've we've been adding in more information into the show notes. And the show notes are essentially what you see when you expand the podcast episode details. And if you do this in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and probably other platforms too on your phone. When we have links, you can actually click them. So we'll have links to maybe things we're referring to. Maybe it'd be like Coinbase or before in our last episode, we had Rockyton and Honey. We'll have Lolly in this one. So that's just something to look out for if you're interested in some of the things we're talking about, specific apps. We'll try to do a better job of making sure there's a way to actually assess that or, or access that rather uh, and, and actually use it yourself. So with that, I'd ask all of our podcast listeners to follow us on Apple Music or Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and engage with our social posts if you're enjoying this. We'd love to get some more feedback. We're really enjoying doing this project. And mm-hmm. if you've got any topics or things that you'd like us to discuss, please reach out and we'd love to feature your topic on the next podcast episode. Stay tuned.